talk about revolution That's going a little bit too far So love me, love me, love me I'm a liberal Hello, and welcome to another episode of more like The Worst Wing, the show where here in 2021 we take a look back at formerly Aaron Sorkin's now a weird cadre of leftovers seminal TV show, The West Wing. I am Stu. And I am Dave. And today's episode is entitled Han. It is in the fifth season, and it is, <laughs> I wrote down in my notes, the very first thing I wrote was, oh my god, Han's alive? But he flipped his <laughs> RX-7 in Tokyo. No, he is totally <laughs> back in the trailers for Fast and Furious 9. Hashtag justice for Han. <laughs> so it turns out this is a episode not about a character named Han, but the central drama revolves... What a shame. (laughs) Yes, I would would love to have him try and drag race like Josh. Han has has to Tokyo drift through the fucking (laughs) White House driveway to escape terrorists or something like that. Han, your task is to disturb not one rose petal in the rose garden, but you need to drift the entire perimeter. But you have to Tokyo drift all the way through it. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) So... So anyway, the central drama revolves around a North Korean pianist who makes it known to the president personally that he wishes to defect from North Korea while he is in the country performing like a, you know, like a PR tour for their arts program. Yeah. Yeah. He's a, uh, he's he's a, piano, perform- he's a piano he's, player. And he's performing at the White House in a big, you know, state dinner kind of thing. Uh, the... One thing I want to remark on in this intro scene where we get the I want to defect, which is leads into our cre- our opening credits, is that he's got a translator with him who's also like sort of his North Korean point man in terms of, you know, we're <laughs> keeping the party line, essentially. Yeah, he's and, like a minder. Right, exactly. And despite the fact that he has a translator with him and Bartlett has been talking to him perfectly normally the whole time, Leo comes up and talks to him in that way that ignorant Americans talk to foreigners, where they talk real <laughs> loud and slow, as if that's going to make the English easier. Hello. Even though- <laughs> Welcome to America. He's like, he's like, and where will you be going to see around Washington? <laughs> Washington, <laughs> yes. Good city. Much like, fun. Jesus Christ, Leo. There's a translator right there. And also yeah. the guy's English is actually pretty it's good. pretty good. <laughs> yeah. And his, like, his English is surprisingly strong. So, like, Christ, Leo. Come on. And, like, at least it, at least it's just Leo. Like, Bartlett does treat him normally. <laughs> yeah, Bartlett treats him normally. But also, like, CJ comes in with, like, oh, right. some racist joking, <laughs> too. Like, what in the world? This is, like, see, it, now it's good characterization for Leo because Leo is that old, out-of-touch boomer type who, who would Vietnam pull veteran. him. Yeah. Yeah, who would pull a move like this and is probably racist against Asian people just in general. But CJ is like the more in touch, always concerned with public perception and, and PR slip ups and stuff like that. It feels very weird for her to just casually racist be like, I know chopsticks. Yeah. Oh, my God. And odd. Uh- I'd, I'd forgotten specifically what it was going on, but it's just like only yeah. chopsticks, right? Yeah, it's like oh, oh, I should. Which, which is the, which is a, be, a beginner piano piece for those of you who don't know what we're right. talking about. Like it's the thing that goes. <laughs> it, 
it's it's called uh, chopsticks quite racistly f- famously you can see it performed in its most racist fashion in the aristocats movie <laughs> <laughs> yes indeed by, i'm actually by going the, to by I'm the Siamese cats <laughs> I'm going to take out me humming the song and actually just put in a clip of it back there. I'm making a note. <laughs> yes. <laughs> okay. Um, so, it's, anyway, it's just um, such a weird and out of touch. And this feels like a new writer slip up kind of thing where they wanted to just have an easy joke, but it feels weird yes. to give it to CJ of all people who is, you know, the press secretary and is always has a mind for this sort of thing going. Yeah. So it starts out and you can kind of, um, there's an interesting, cause with the history of North Korea and everybody sort of understands North Korea, it's shorthand for like, you know, dictatorship in mm-hmm. the, modern the most oppressive understanding. State, and so what the placing this in historical context, the writers of this show are heavily, heavily influenced by, and practically I would argue almost every single American who is now an adult or has been an adult since 19, since 2000 is heavily influenced in their perception of North Korea by the legitimate famine that occurred between about like 1995 and 1998 in the country. Um, And so that is where these perceptions of it as just like a, like a wasteland and, you know, people starving in the streets, blah, 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 and stuff. And this is in no way to kind of um, give, gotta hand it to them. For like right. an authorita- a legitimate authoritarian regime run by uh, what's basically not. a god king. But right. the fact remains that the Soviet Union was the largest source of caloric support for North Korea, given all the fucking sanctions, given the DMZ, given all these things. And the collapse of the Soviet Union led basically directly to... That, yeah. Millions of people starving to death that, that in outcome. North Korea. So, right. Which, of course, ultimately was caused by America fucking around, so... Yeah, and it's a very interesting time period when this show is being written because the focus on the sort of international relations aspect of it was very heavily targeted on this class of, quote, defectors. Because I think in my estimation of it... I think... I was going to say, it, it, to me, it's it's the ultimate PR move to to advertise and to increase the visibility of public defectors like this because it shows, and this is what the show is really going for at its core in this particular episode, is that there is a unique quality to quote-unquote American freedom that everyone yearns for in their heart. And... It's, it's, you know, it's the easiest justification for imperialism in the world, you know, of, oh, but people yearn for our freedom. Yeah. And so this was the important thing. And we talked about this right before we started recording, where it was basically like, this guy is actually like a celebrity in North Korea. He uh, yeah. will. If, He's living if we the are, elite life, if anything. It, yes, exactly. If we are concerned about like material conditions of people in North Korea, it it heightens the drama of the moment to be like, wow, even this guy who has mm-hmm. access to all the party resources and stuff wants to come to America where he right. can be truly free. Even though motherfucker's taking like a world tour to play piano right. for dignitaries. Like, right. dude is treated very well. In the White House. Yeah, he's, he's yeah. living the world famous high life. 
And so, yeah, and that just goes to underscore like the the show's fundamental ideology of being like, oh, there's just this, there's this je ne sais quoi about mm-hmm. American freedom that's like, mm-hmm. okay, like, mm-hmm. like it's, go, go, fuck you know, we are, really. we're the shining city on the hill and, and everyone wants to be here, you know, in a very jerking off America, <laughs> bo- patriotic boner turns into an eagle and flies away kind of thing. Well, and so they then place this, like, kind of the singular, um, like, one man's struggle thing in the context of a, you know, international relations snafu because it turns yeah. out, hey, surprise, there are important <laughs> nuclear disarmament talks. Handily, they've been going on yeah. for the past, you know, <laughs> however long, off screen, you know, never mentioned before. But it, it feels very convenient to try to heighten the stakes of this even more. Where, yeah, now, so now if, if they let this guy defect and North Korea, you know, loses uh, on the Lose international in stage. I was, yeah. I was not, I was trying to avoid that, but yeah. Well, <laughs> but essentially, well, yes, I mean, that's what they're playing into is like, uh-oh, they're going to lose face if we take this defector guy and then they're going to walk away from the negotiation table for this big important deal that we're trying to get through, nuclear disarmament. And we do get an interesting, and I can't remember what his title is, but we get an interesting um, sub-character, sort of like a rando guy of that, the uh, State Department. I feel like he's a state, yeah, he's just a State Department guy. But you're talking about, yeah, there's like the two, gen- there's like the general guy, and then there's the the one, yeah, he kind of advocates for the like idea a hard of, line of, of, of we have to do amnesty, it's the law. Uh, oh no! Which... But there's there's another but there's another one. I'm I'm talking about the guy who oh, is like who's like sorry. the the DMZ is beautiful. Send him oh, back. Guy. Right, right, that guy. Yeah. Be, because like North Korea is actually a fine place that we also need to like isolate and destroy via sanctions. Yeah. It's this weird that, like that guy was insane. <laughs> it's like, yeah, that, it's just, that general maybe... guy that is like crazy throughout this whole episode. And and it's just it's. Because, and I think what drives me the most crazy about it is because he just says a bunch of disparate things that are underpinned strictly by this just hawkish, awful yeah. perspective. Like it has, there's no analysis really or interrelationship between any no. of his, much it's like just, most Americans. It's just politics. North, Cor- North Korea bad, we good, therefore, therefore let's, do fu- this, this, and let's, this. let's fuck around with it. <laughs> yeah, and so there's like, there's a talk about like, you know, nuclear proliferation sure, and then briefly. as you mentioned there's a guy who comes in and literally takes the stance of it is against the law to, to deny, deny him. him entry uh, and, exactly and i think i did a little bit of research before the show it's actually prior to 2004 and the real just kind of instatement of the insane um sort of what about i say centralization of the department of homeland security that was tech that was very much like a a um a part mm-hmm. of the 1980 mm-hmm. law that governed immigration and asylum seeking in if the united they, states if, it was basically if they were actually fearing for their life or you know feared to be deported back to where they came from you had to give them amnesty yeah and since 2004 surprise now there is basically you turn your cbp officer into a gatekeeper because the because basically they're technocrating the credible and reasonable fear 
standards of right. persecution if they are returned, where basically the the statute has become so rigorous that it's like they have to demonstrate that they are under risk of being tortured. Right. If well, they, they, are ha- they have to pr- home. produce a wanted poster with their face on it, essentially. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> like, <laughs> produce a note from a local saying, I will shoot you in the face when you if come you, back. If, if, when you, yeah, <laughs> yeah, exactly. Like, when I see you next, I will be pulling out your toenails. Cool. But all it, all it does is it it's essentially it just hands off the, um, the opportunity to screen all these people to individual officers of CBP who mm-hmm. we all know the type of person who who seeks volunteers out kind of, for those yeah. kind of jobs yeah um and even on like some of their some of the fucking dhs's propaganda pieces they're just like you'll find that there have been an exponential increase in credible fear cases since the policy was implemented it's just like <laughs> well well yeah dude because no shit no no shit. If it's the only way I can get into the country, then they'll a, I'll tell you whatever you want to I'm hear. I'll tell buddy. you whatever you want. And B, <laughs> yeah. surprise, like your fucking bullish imperial policy keeps is, creating situations. It's making fear. it worse. Exactly. Yeah. It's just god awful. And so uh. the the case sort of comes down to Bartlett talks with the guy, the pianist, while he is rehearsing, kind of one on, he like slips in next to him on the bench. Which, which, by the way, I love, I just, in my mind, all I could think of is if this was Trump, he'd be like playing, he'd be like playing along, like, look, look, I can play piano, look at me. Da, 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 da. Just, just like, hammering random keys and be like, oh, yeah. is this how you do it? Yeah. Like, <laughs> Yeah, and so uh, he's he sits down next to him and says, uh-huh. like, because of these talks, I right. cannot he, allow you right. to he claim lays it asylum. Out. Right, he lays and, it out. But what is what is really just kind of just really brutal is that he never tells him no. He says a bunch of things to him that make him make the decision to not press the claim. Basically, yeah. Which is, uh, I I really don't know shitty. how to think about this. It's really <laughs> shitty. It's I like in a dim recess of my brain, I think about like, well, maybe I should consider the broader goals of I don't know my countrymen, like the international safety of people. But at the same time, if you've made the affirmative step and gone to all these lengths to get your ass here. Like, it's really mean of the president to just yeah. be like, well, yeah. I can't not tell you to do it, right. so it's on you now. And by the way, all these bad things are going to happen if you do this, it's, you jerk. Right. How dare right. you? Yeah, it's, yeah, he basically just lays like a giant guilt trip on him. And then the, he, the kid tries to do it anyway at the very end. Yeah. He takes, like, a couple runs at it of, like, trying to say, I want to defect, I want to defect, but then he just c- cuts it off and he goes, I want to thank you all for letting me perform. It was a great honor. And then everyone claps and he, he decides to not press it. Because I think Bartlett knows if he did it, like, in front of, you know, the press and everything, like, Bartlett would have to honor the claim. Or, or yeah, well, at least at, take action of some kind. So, like, the kid still actually had him in a bind if he decided, but that's why Bartlett lays the whole guilt trip on him of, like, oh, here's all the bad shit that'll happen yes, if you for do sure. this. Well, and Which sucks. <laughs> after, 
after the explicit racism at the beginning of the episode, CJ actually comes around and starts to like basically browbeat the president about it. Mm-hmm. And I think in one interaction in this episode, she like she, walks out of the room with him uh, from him yeah, because she's yeah. mad. Yeah, CJ takes my view on it, which is if not if we're in an ideal in America and in the TV show, it's supposed to be like an ideal America, right? So if we're in an ideal America, we should abide by the promise laid out on the Statue of Liberty of, you know, give me your poor, your tired, your huddled masses, the the people, quote unquote, yearning to breathe free. Here, here is Korean piano man. He yearns to breathe free. We, we should, you know, we should fulfill that promise. That, that's basically CJ's argument in a nutshell. And it's, it's mine, too, at the end of the day, if, if we were in an ideal America. Yeah, Sad, yeah, but real. we're not. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I mean, but yeah, we're not, so, and people should not want to come to this demon cracker nation. <laughs> and and like I said in the, in the notes, it's like in the world of the show, the war on terror never happened. We don't have the Patriot Act. We don't have universal domestic surveillance yet. Right. I mean, to a degree, beyond you know, obviously, Cointel and all this stuff has been happening. <laughs> yeah. In the world it's of the like, show, but like it, it is in a the much... world of the show, you have the glorious American freedom to come here and get overcharged for healthcare and go bankrupt. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Well, and yeah, in the world of the show, it's a it's a much cooler place to come to. Like it's, exactly. It's more cool and good than shitty and bad. Than and hell, now. we might even get tax deductible college tuition. Oh wait, shit. <laughs> oh no, or. Or not so much much like everything else in the show we get the like the fade out nothing happens at the end because fucking they they come in and cj is talking to president bartlett again and the president says that the that jai the character didn't like understand what a request for asylum truly meant and by truly meant he he really actually means how it would impact his administration's foreign policy agenda. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And then he just goes straight out and says, oh, well, also those nuclear talks that we were worried about him disrupting, they're on hold now and nothing's happening. So right. what the fuck? What's it's a real, <laughs> real Pyrrhic victory without God. the victory, with, without the victory. God damn it. And a, a Pyrrhic defeat. It, and you made this note, I think, on another point where it's just like, it's just twiddling the dials. And in the end, the dials right. just point straight up in the middle once right. again. Like, they've right. been, oh, they've been to the right and to the left, and now they're just straight. Like, <laughs> ah, for fuck's sake. I mean, at one point in the episode, the president basically lays out the argument of like, well, you don't want to do anything too... He's talking about the economy, yeah. but basically lays out the central argument for centrism slash incrementalism in general of like, well, you don't want to do anything too major. You just want to do a lot of little things. <laughs> Jesus. And yeah, so we'll uh, we'll take a brief break here and get into the domestic policy side of the thing. But basically, like, the name of the episode is Han, which in... Uh, apparently and i'm not entirely sure like i don't actually know much about korea and culture of koreans and stuff is is the name of something that would be akin to ennui in french where it is yeah like a like an undercurrent of constant sadness which you know basically doing a little bit of reading about it is is predicated upon the korean peninsula's horrific history of just constant subjugation and colonization by mm-hmm. other 
by other, you know, mm-hmm. originally tribes yeah, and then nation states. It says that, like, traditional Korean lore is actually quite joyful and humorous, and it's only around the time that they started getting colonized by the Japanese that this sort of concept of Han as despair started to emerge. And, you know, kind of as a as a function of sort of like a national myth or mythos, if you will, I can see exactly where that's coming from because it mm-hmm. helps solidify, you know, your resilience as a as a people or a state or you know whatever you're identifying very eastern european in that way you know where they have that sort of the hard determination of like no life's a bitch and then you die but no we're gonna get through it huh (laughs) yeah exactly and and i've been i've actually taken a couple classes in the past about sort of like um uh how serfdom is in fact like quite universal it's just called different things Mm mm-hmm in different areas. And so this is kind of one of those where, you know, it can be leveraged as again, something of a, a cultural identity, but it's a more recent phenomenon, I think. And again, I don't want to talk too much about it because I haven't right. actually done much research. We're not experts or anything, but it was, yeah. it's an interesting thing to bring up and it is indeed the episode title. So it, it deserves yeah. some mention. And let's, uh, unfortunately it's not, it's not the boy racer and his killer pimped RX seven. <laughs> I can't fucking COVID delayed that goddamn movie. I can't wait for it. Justice Just for Han. <laughs> Justice for Han. Uh, let's right. take a let's take a quick break, and we'll come back and discuss the other parts of this episode. Many, many diamonds dangling Back full of money, we strangling Hate me, fry me, bake me, try me All the above, cause you can't get in I don't want no problem Because me professional Make you shake your ketchup, thank you Haters take it personal Like a Canada, tight heads out Nail drop on, let's go Not not my money, let's go Hot sun, she get you my ozen, let's go Let's go, to he look up and welcome back the uh rest of the episode mainly concerns a few things one is a sort of somewhat economic subplot about a worry of an upcoming recession very uh very pre-2009 big recession you know the this is back when they were smaller you know minor events that weren't uh, economy crashing every time they happened (laughs) uh so there's a big fear about it and as you said in a very sort of liberal democrat way they they can't even say the word recession because (laughs) saying the word gives it power and so they have to be cute about it and call it a bagel. Uh, and they have a bunch of meetings about how to avoid the bagel. bagel. <laughs> and it, it's very stupid. Well, and I mean, yeah, it's very Democrat of like, oh, you just don't it's, say the word. He who must not be right. named. Right. It's different from like, they did that cute moment in that one episode with that old guy who like sh- shook Hoover's hand before oh, yeah, like the yeah, day yeah. before Black Friday or whatever. Yeah. <laughs> where, like, the day before the Great Depression broke out and Bartlett was like, is like, Charlie, would it be superstitious if I didn't shake this guy's hand? Charlie's like, are you fucking kidding me? You need to get out of here. <laughs> like, and like, that's a funnier way of doing this, but where like all these grown adults refuse to say the, the term recession 
is stupid. Yeah. Oh, like, yeah. There, there, there's a funnier, there's a good, if you want to play this cute and funny, there's a way of doing it, and you've done it before. But, like, like if you want to talk about it, talk about it. Well, and to his great credit, the president calls this meeting with the Council of Economic Advisors, and they go around the room and they're like, bah, 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 and then there's this one guy who's just like, absolutely not. We should be increasing um, the Fed core rate, and we absolutely will not have a stimulus package because, oh, no, the deficit. <laughs> no. Right. And, like, Bartlett gets up back in his face and just like, how about instead we, you know, help people buy food and pay their rent, you motherfuckers. This isn't a discussion. Bring me a recommendation when you have one, and I'll say yes or no. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. This this is, I wish, this is the closest we get to economic leftism from the West Wing. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. It's one of a very few times where it's just like, oh, okay, yeah, um, pretty much. Because, yeah. I mean, Keynesian counter-cyclical spending is what got the show to where it is. Nothing will come of it but uh sure well, within the plot of the episode then but, uh, yeah you know, they, i mean it mostly it mostly peters out it gets brought up at a press conference and cj has to deflect a little and donna and, donna has a throwaway joke of like oh yeah <laughs> we can't why, do why any... don't we ch- yeah no i want to actually try a little try a little bit of everything <laughs> I, I think i might actually include the clip here and because it's just the the most dog shit brain take it's like with diets, how there's all these different diet theories all completely contradictory when most doctors agree that the healthiest advice is just to eat a variety of food in moderate amounts. Uh-huh. Maybe that's the approach to take with economists. Take from every theory in moderation. Yeah. Interesting. <laughs> and she's just like, well, you can't do anything big. What if we do everything yeah. but small? <laughs> per- perfectly balanced, just as all things should be. <laughs> yeah. Oh man. Uh yeah. So I do like um yeah, Donna's aunt and uncle uh are are funny little bit parts or whatever of like ha I sell cheese and Josh gets to go like oh, <laughs> like, I legitimately very, joked about them being it's cheese very, people. Like, I don't know why it's very red letter media. Yeah. <laughs> it's just like oh Wisconsin. Well, and there is a a pretty because usually like the show sense of humor doesn't really resonate with me. But watching um, Bradley Whitford control his face when the guy says, "I'm actually like a cheese vendor," right, is, is pretty he's, fucking he's, funny. He's, he's yeah, he's trying not to like just break out into glee <laughs> <laughs> and like instantly turn to Donna and start mocking her. It's pretty yeah, good. It's pretty good. And speaking of things that are actually pretty funny in this episode, that's a nice segue into another subplot that happens with Bingo Bob. Bingo Bob. Uh, because now they are announcing him officially as VP since it went through last episode. They're going to go out in the Rose Garden and have the president do a little speechy thing. And Will and Toby have to write up the speech and are having trouble coming up with any good adjectives to describe yeah. Bingo Bob. <laughs> Uh, and, it, you know, it's kind of funny to see them just, like, trash him verbally, but then Will decides to start writing it all down, like, all their mocking BS about, like, oh, this stupid idiot fucking coal mining magnet 
bitch. <laughs> like, he, they're just, like, trashing him. And Will writes it all down in the fucking notepad. And, of course, um, ten minutes later, uh-oh, guess which one got loaded onto the oh, teleprompter? Oh. Not the good one, I, I but the shitty one. <laughs> I didn't save the version we fixed, you guys. Oh, no. What? <laughs> And, it, like, that part's not the funny part. It's the most obvious, like, setup and punchline and payoff. But the way the actors play the scene is really good, where... Uh, so Gary Cole is behind the president, and the president himself manages to ad-lib quite successfully around it the second he realizes, like, uh-oh, this is a bunch of, like, jokes and BS in here at Bingo Bob's expense. Uh, and so he just kind of goes, like, this is a great day for America, and just kind of BSs his way out of it. But Bingo Bob is behind him, sees it on the teleprompter, and just immediately looks over at Toby and Will, who both <laughs> may, like... Who both make great, like, oh, fuck, reactions. Yeah. <laughs> Particularly Will, who who realizes his job is fucking on the line here. Yeah, it, I mean, it's 100% like a fireable offense. Like, yeah, yeah, fuck? like, holy shit, you do not fucking... You never write it down. Like, if you're gonna joke, make your jokes, but you don't write them down. Well, and so... Unless you're, unless you're in a comedy writer's room or something like that, but not when you're doing official speech writing. And, I mean, do you, do you mention that Gary Cole does a great job with a character who's just supposed to be super bland, but somehow right. the setting up the contrast of how he is described with how he is played by a pretty talented is, actor? Yeah, it's really good, great. actually. Yeah. yeah, like, he actually has all this sort of crazy dynamic energy to him where, and, and so he comes in afterwards and he's like, I want a copy of it. It was hilarious. For like, which first off, and then secondly, he's like, "Oh yeah, so all all the all that shit you just described. Well, I'm part of the team now, so it's your problem to deal with it." Communications department, yep. <laughs> and they're and they're both just kind of like sitting there, like, "Oh shit, he's right." Yeah, it's it's great. Yeah, so like, I love the way he plays. Yeah, he plays it real well, and he's given good material. And like you said, this sort of inherent contrast with the way the character is described as the most boringest man ever. But then every time he appears, he's delightful. <laughs> yeah, and he's always saying something trenchant and, you know, kind of yeah. coming at things from the right angle, I guess. Yeah. So, yeah. So, I'm, ex I'm excited to see more of Bob Russell. <laughs> and the, like, the very minor thing with, again, Josh and Amy, is that Josh is trying to whip a unanimous confirmation for Bob Russell, for the VP, correct. out of the the senators or whoever the fuck. And there's I don't know, there's senators? one. By the way, no, his last name is Thiel, which jumped out at me because I I thought of Peter Thiel, yep. but it's it's spelled slightly differently. But yeah, Congressman Thiel is gonna vote against it, and he comes with a really good reason. He's like, "Fuck Bob Russell! Like, weren't you guys supposed to push for the <laughs> yeah. for the good one? You know, fucking Hennyford or whatever, sir, not appearing in the show anymore. <laughs> weren't you supposed to push for him?" And it's like, "Fuck, fuck Bob Russell! No, I'm not gonna vote for fucking Bob Russell. He <laughs> yeah. fucking sucks." And it's like, wasn't this the whole point? Why'd you give it to the Republicans so easily, Josh? And Josh has to just sit there and be owned uh, in front of Ryan, no less. Ryan, the intern, makes mm -hmm. more of an appearance in this episode. And for good reason, because then it turns out behind the scenes, Ryan goes to Mr. Thiel and, like, pulls his daddy weight and is like, oh, I got my daddy, the congressman, to fucking go yell at him. And now he changes his mind at the last minute and they do get the unanimous vote that Josh wanted. And Josh... Uh, just thinks that, like, oh, 
he he folded to my superior big dick energy in the end after all. Yeah, and I think this is actually not realizing that Ryan caused it. Well, I mean, it's it's actually kind of a, a decent touch on the writing too, is because they never explicitly tell Josh what happened. Right. Exactly. So he's he's of the mistaken perception that he's just like, oh well, you know what the White House wants, the White House gets. Right. So then, um, so Josh and Amy, they actually just kind of, like, have the conversation of, like, so what is this? Even Ryan (laughs) calls it out. He's like, so what's going on with you and her, huh? (laughs) Boyfriend, girlfriend? Friends with benefits? Because he's kind of like, damn, she's, uh, she's pretty fine. You guys are, uh, you guys are doing a thing, right? (laughs) You hit that, bro? Yeah. That's basically what Ryan comes at it from. And then they have the most sort of like, I hate to call it this, but it really does feel this way. They have the most like centrist way of dealing with this relationship drama where Josh comes to her at the end. He's like, hey, I know this whole thing we're doing right now isn't defined that well. We should get together to talk about some terms for defining it. Which Amy takes as, you know, progress and smiles or whatever. But that's just, like, the most, like, we need to form a committee kind of bullshit way of fr- of fucking phrasing that kind of statement. Yeah, we need to dis- figure out descriptors for the status of her. And and uh, <laughs> I, I don't I don't remember exactly what she says. Like, they're having they're having some argument or something or, like, he's she says, like, he's beating her or something. And then, like... At the end of the conversation, she goes, you should uh, come by my place and I'll let you beat me some more tonight. And like gives him this little <laughs> wry smile. Yeah. It's like, dude, that is the green light. You can stop worrying about how you want to describe this. Yeah. Oh, man. Yeah. And then uh, that's that's mostly it for this episode. Yeah. Any, I think, any um... final thoughts? Let's see it's, not, it's not awful. It, it, at least it has an interesting premise at its core with the defection guy. And, you know, which is fun to bat around in your brain. And the show handles it seriously enough, I guess. Without, you know, it, obviously grossly imperialist attitudes all around and whatnot. But that's that's par, par for the course at this point. Yeah, I mean, we, I think from a technical perspective, there's still some weird lighting happening oh right in yeah this that's still going on it's... i have no idea what's what the fuck it, uh, did some of the actors ask for this did they want they're like oh the even tv lighting of the last four years it makes my pores you know i can see them all over the tv or was it just the lighting guy being like i'm trying out stuff yeah how can i today? make this dramatic <laughs> um uh, natural lighting we're gonna film at the golden hour everyone <laughs> yeah everybody needs to report to the set for two hours between 6 a.m and 8 a.m and then yeah. again from 7 p.m to 9 p.m and we'll be good yeah like <laughs> uh, just the lighting we'll we'll continue to call it out i wonder how long this goes on yeah. for i it, re- it regains its normalcy at some point i my mind wants to believe i think i just knows? i mean the last that might time be grasping for sanity <laughs> well the last time i watched this i wasn't really paying that much granular attention to it so i guess that's mm-hmm. kind of the benefit of the, the rewatch here um right yeah you just you know if you're not thinking about it you're just like yeah okay whatever the light's different today the weather's bad but like it's a trend now and i can't not notice yeah um i do want to shout out um the chopin etude that the guy plays for the concert it's a really great piece um incredibly challenging to play on the piano Mm -hmm. i did 
eight years of piano lessons as a kid. And the thing that made me stop wanting to play piano was a different A tier to show. No, not that one specifically. Oh. That was way beyond my level, but like but similar. An entry level Chopin A tier that I was just that. like, fuck this. Uh. <laughs> <laughs> That's great. Yeah, uh, piano is one of those perfect cinematic devices where if you're careful with your shots and editing, you can just, like, have the actor sit there the whole time, yep. and it's like he's a genius <laughs> because you're piping it in over on the soundtrack, and they have, like, one shot of stunt hands at the very end of the song to show him perform, like, eight notes at the very end, and that's all. That's it. And if you're judicious, you can pull it off like that. Yeah, so um, that's about it for this episode. Yeah. Again, not one of the worst, but not particularly great either. Just sort of bland. Yeah. Which might be the ultimate sin of television. You're here to entertain me. <laughs> yeah, do do better, West Wing. Anyway, um, <laughs> thanks for listening. As always, um, you can drop us a line in either of our threads on Bread and Roses or Something Awful. Um, you can feel free to email the show if somehow you found us, I don't know, on SoundCloud or the broader web or, I don't know, maybe my Twitter feed somewhere um welcome anyway the email address for the show is the worst wing 69 at gmail.com which is nice nice and feel free to drop us a line there we always appreciate your likes and subscribes and we will talk to you next time stay safe everyone bye everybody stay safe that's how we do this is for my dog this is for my dog yo where we at baby from then till now, don't ask me how. Know that we gon' roll like the niggas in here. Hey, pop on the show. Well.